This short code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Code Podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews. By students, for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com. Welcome back to the Short Coat Podcast, a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler. That's not important right now. On today's show, how might you get published? And whatever other nonsense we can, <laughs> we can come up with. Uh, there's a little game in the end. Stay tuned for that. A lot of stuff going on in the show today. With me in the studio, it's MD, PhD student, Miranda Skeen. Hello. Another MD, PhD student, <laughs> Riley Bean. Hello there. Uh, first time co-host, M1, Grant Soccer. Got to finish your last name, Grant. It's true. Sorry. I know it's your first time. Do not walk over the host. I'll do my best. And then joining us from the internet, it's uh, M4, Emma Barr. Hello. Grant, it's wonderful to have you here in the studio for the first time. So I have to ask, uh, what were you doing before you started med school? Yeah, so I graduated from the University of Iowa in 2017. The last couple of years, I was a clinical research coordinator at the University of California, San Francisco. And then I made it back here to Iowa. Is that where you're from, California? No, so that's kind of complicated. So I'll, I'll keep it short and just say I did high school in upstate New York, but my mom's side of the family is from Iowa. Right. So that's my connection. And and, and what made you want to do this? Uh, med- was, was medicine your goal all along? or? Yeah, so in undergrad, I did my degree in biomedical engineering. And I always had a goal of doing medicine. So I was pre-med the whole time. And I kind of just saw medicine and it's kind of a cliche answer, but the whole idea of like leaving somewhere better than where when you got there was Mm. really appealing to me. And that's kind of the mantra that I I take to the things that I do. And I saw medicine as the best way to use the skills and interests that I have to achieve that goal. Well, I love that. What a great answer. Yeah. Team engineer to medicine. Yeah. I was, was materials engineering as well. So. Oh, that's my favorite. So good. It. It's so good. Miranda's like, I wish I'd used that question. I could have gotten into, <laughs> could have gotten into Harvard. Well, it's, I'm, I'm glad you could join us. Thank you so much for, for coming to visit with us. Thanks for having me. We've got a listener question that I hope you all can answer. Uh, anonymous listener, I'm going to call Friedrich, who wants to make his mark. Uh, so here's Friedrich. Incoming M1 here and lucky to have had a great application cycle. I'm wondering how to get abstracts, presentations, and publications as a med student and undergrad. When joining a lab, can it ever be guaranteed? How can you maximize your chances? I've found an awesome lab, PI, and a team of grad students that's great. I love my role, but not sure whether or not I'll ever be on an abstract, publication, or poster. Do y'all already have episodes that answer this? I, I feel like uh, right, I feel like Miranda may have been distracted. <laughs> Acknowledge the elephant in the room. Yeah, like <laughs> we just robots, a, man. We've had a listener question via Patrick Stewart monologue. Like <laughs> this is incredible. It's very endearing. I love it. I, I know. I love it. Like I will die for Friedrich, but also <laughs> it's not his real voice. <laughs> but, it is know. not. No. That's, a, that's an AI. I, I was gonna give I was gonna give anonymous listeners so many points. Like if you leave us a voicemail in that voice, like we're it's an automatic acceptance to medical school. That's, that's a secret menu for med school. We'll put in a good word. We'll put in a good word for you. To Friedrich's question, though, it kind of sounds like this student is already accepted into medical school and is wondering more about in medical school how you do research. For research in medical school, if you're not MD PhD, you may not have time to really get that involved in research until like your third or fourth year. And at that point, it's really hard to get a publication done before you apply to residency. I did get to like, I didn't do any research until halfway through my third year. And I did get to submitted to journals, but they weren't like accepted yet by the time that application season rolled around. But you can definitely get presentations like most medical schools have a research day that you can present at. And I think really just focusing on things that you're excited about because I'm doing interviews now and it's much easier to talk about the projects that I'm excited about than ones that I just kind of jumped on because it was an opportunity. Yeah. You also need to think about kind of what your school offers because I know here at Carver, we have the Summer Research Fellowship where a lot of students do 
research in the summer. And that goes back to um, like what Miranda was saying and like knowing your project and knowing what you want to get out of it because you only have 12 weeks, right, Mm -hmm. for the summer. So you have to pick a project if you're looking to publish that you can do in that time period. Yeah. Uh, And really outlining your goals with your mentor is really important as well. Yeah. Like if you're doing research in medical school, a basic science project will never, ever, ever get published in 12 weeks. Like a chart review has a chance. I think a friend of mine did something where it was like like a genotyping thing and she got her name on a publication in 12 weeks. She might have been first author. I actually don't know. But like those kinds of things are manageable. But case reports, too. Like if you see an interesting case, nothing's fallen into my lap. But maybe if you're more ambitious. That's a that's a good thought too, case reports. Because can you do those while you're on clinical? Like can you write a case report? Yeah, that's a yeah. that's a really good point. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, and I think if it's your goal, kind of going back to what Dave said, kind of lay that out to your mentor from the beginning, because the the sooner you have those expectations, the better that writing process will go, and maybe the quicker that your mentor will help you through that writing process. For example, in our lab, we're considering a few papers next semester, and I've already had the conversation with my mentor about what role will I have in those papers? Will I be first author? Will I be second author? Kind of where, what is my role? And so to have those conversations despite them being a little uncomfy from the beginning it will make the process so much smoother and you'll have some people that are really willing to help you from the beginning yeah and i think most faculty at academic centers are aware that you're applying to residency and you want to get publications like when i did my research in third year my uh, mentor was very aware like this is our goal for the intro and this is our goal for the methods and so it shouldn't be like an awkward an awkward conversation and if it is maybe you need a different mentor maybe Mm -hmm. they're not that into like doing research yeah i think think, i'm wondering if maybe it might be a good idea to think about this the actual skill that your skills that you're trying to develop in making this request yeah because there's a lot to research even just the nuts and bolts of writing for your publication for whatever publication you're trying for i mean that's a big deal and you know so, so if you talk to your mentor for instance and you say you know this is these are my goals i want to I want to learn more about writing for research or I want to insert some jargon that you guys have already <laughs> mentioned, mentioned today that I, you know, chart review. If you want to learn how to do chart, you know, like maybe that would be helpful in, so, you know, just thinking about the thing that you want to learn yeah. out of this rather than the goal of being published. Yeah, absolutely. I think having the goal is the key here is just if you really want to, there's definitely options to seek that out. However, it may mean changing your research projection. So if you're in kind of a basic science lab that is doing projects that'll take four years to actually get a publication, that goal is probably not as reasonable as a lab that is going to do kind of less bench work and more maybe chart review. And I guess I don't know how how useful undergrads are in kind of the world of clinical academic medicine. Yeah. But something like that, seeking out research that is going to publish quicker is kind of one one key thing. Here's the thing about publishing as an undergrad, and this is going to be a l- maybe pessimistic, but you don't have as much control over whether or not you publish when you're an undergrad. Like when you're a graduate student, you will publish because that's how you graduate. But when you're an undergrad, like it tends to be like if the lab publishes something that you worked a lot on, you will be included as an author, but you don't necessarily have as much control because you're not you don't have the experience or like the training yet to lead projects. That can depend, though. I have also been in labs where undergrads like head up projects and get first authorships, but usually they've been in lab for a couple of years at that point. Like you need to be in a lab for a couple of years. So starting early, you have a better chance. Yeah. Starting early, you have a better chance. And a certain amount of it is luck when you're an undergrad, again, because you don't have as much uh, control. That said, the goal of being on posters or doing presentations, much more manageable. And a lot of that is being proactive and looking for conferences, looking for things where undergraduates present. And then like, being proactive and going to your mentor and being like, hey, I saw a thing. Can I present a poster at this or do this or have X, Y, Z? Like those are things you have a lot more control over and you're a lot more likely to get those things accomplished. One key thing, if your goal is to publish, that is really, really awesome. Is it to to kind of achieve that goal so you can get into medical school or is it more so because you really genuinely like research? For example, I'm an MD, PhD student. 
I did not have a publication coming into an MD PhD program. Yeah, neither did I. And for and honestly, until this very moment, it made me incredibly insecure because I felt like I was a lesser MD PhD student due to the fact that I did not have publications coming in. So I just want to remind you, it is by no means necessary to have publications to get into medical school or MD, PhD programs. I think it's an awesome goal. I wish that I had been more goal oriented when I started research in undergrad, that I would have sought out the projects that could have given me more writing and experience to be able to get a publication. But I was able to do to get one or two abstracts and one or two poster presentations, which I think prepared me greatly for md phd programs medical yeah. school research all of the above absolutely yeah like it is not expected that you will have publications as an undergrad in the way that it is expected you will have research or volunteering or something like that like people are aware that a lot of this is like it, getting into a lab is hard as an undergrad it's a lot less structured there's a lot more risk in it you're a lot more subject to the whimsy of your pi <laughs> there's fewer safety nets so it is not expected that you will have a publication by the time you get to medical school it, and i again this i feel like this is going to sound either judgmental or pessimistic so i apologize in advance but like when you work in a lab and you see a lot of undergrads come through the door, you can tell when an undergrad is there because they want to learn research or they want to learn skills. They want to get that. Or if an undergrad is there because they're trying to boost their resume for med school, like you can tell because of the care they put into their work. If you talk to the majority of grad students, they will have some horror story about how like an undergrad came in. It di they didn't really care about the research and like they either like threw away a bunch of reagent or they wasted a bunch of time. No, I can't really just murdered some. Left and right. No, I, I kid you not. Like, there's this a strain of cells called competent cells. You know, like one of the labs I worked in, the postdoc was talking to me, and like an undergrad basically went through like two boxes of competent cells trying to do one transfection because they kept messing it up. Like, it was, it's insane. Like, so. They can tell both of the quality of your work and just your attitude coming in if you're there because you want to learn. And if you're there yeah. because you want to learn, people will want to teach you. Like this, we look like pretty much all academic people like teaching people and training people. But if you're there just to like check boxes on a resume, you're going to have a lot harder time getting that rapport built up because it's like, but you don't care. That by quality of your work, you mean the the care into which you put into it, not necessarily the results you get yes, out of absolutely. it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I'm talking about like day-to-day -day quality. I mean, this like poor, if you this are, poor if you sap who went through all these, you know, yeah. competence. But uh, yeah, this poor student who went through, you know, this probably expensive bunch of cells. No. Yeah, that's kind of a problem. But also if they were, if they... <laughs> I don't know if they got better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe or, that's an easier or sell. If like, or if they had come to their graduate student and been like, hey, I'm having a problem. Can you help me? Yes. At some point before they went there. Because the fact that they tried and tried over and over just in, was an indicator to the lab that they didn't care about the lab's resources or the student's time. Yeah. Because it's like other people need those resources. So, yeah, it, it's purely just a day to day putting good work into your lab because that builds up like the the more you show that you care about the work, the more things people are going to want to give you because you're showing you're responsible. So. I think it goes into don't do research just to do research. Abs yes. Do don't research. do anything just to yeah. do anything. Yeah. This yeah. is the constant. Yeah. Grant, you fit right in. <laughs> <laughs> this constant is the constant re refrain of the show, you know. Yeah. Stop thinking of it as a checklist and start thinking of it as things that you want to do and that you want to get better at and you want to improve your competence in so that you can be a competent cell. <laughs> That's competent so. cells. A bundle of competent cells. A bundle of competent cells. Have me hanging out with my bundle of competent cells. <laughs> so much better than meat suit. <laughs> yeah. I like it. I like it. What, I was thinking that's so you started to explain what a, a competent cell is. It's what you named the Discord chat of your <laughs> <laughs> competent cells. <laughs> competent cells are they are a, you can they're usually bacterial cells. I don't I'm assuming there's eukaryotic cells that are competent, but in my experience, it's usually bacterial cells that have been modified or have had things done to them in such a way that they are able to accept plasmid DNA and then like accept it and then replicate it is usually what you use them for. 
Yeah, you, you said some words there. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, <laughs> you asked me to explain. I did. I did. And then you and I'm not you opened that door. And I'm not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just confused. <laughs> did the explanation help you understand at all? It did, yeah. Oh, okay, I'm cool. Kidding. My work here is done. Bye, everybody. Yeah, I, I, I feel odd because I, I kind of have been assuming, like, ever since this question came in, that he was talking about undergrad research. And well, that makes no sense now. I think it's now. fair to talk about both. Well, I, mean, I, mean, I think there's probably people yeah. that have the undergrad question and yeah. some people that have the med school question. Yeah, I'm glad we talk about both because it's like, I think we can speak more to undergrad side and then... Our, med- our lovely medical students here can actually speak to the medical student side of things because I, I don't know how y'all get research <laughs> I get too much research Listeners if you ask us a question it means that I don't have to make something up to talk about on the show and the show becomes what you want it to be so send your questions to the shortcoats at gmail.com or leave a message at 347 short CT we'll talk about it on the show how is your research? Yeah. How's your research coming? Oh, please don't ask me that. I just, <laughs> I just is this submitted. really a question you ask a grad student? I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's, that's like PC. Yeah. It's, like, it's like asking a woman about her weight. Like <laughs> asking a grad student when they're going to graduate. Like, yeah. Don't ask. Don't ask. That's not don't something ask, I would ask. Don't ask me that. Like every question I get is, oh, what are you done with school? Like, don't ask me. Okay, stop asking. I'm going to start crying when people ask just to make them really uncomfy. They're like going home for the holidays. When are you done? <laughs> Start bawling. Never. I'm gonna be an old maid still in school. It's going fine though. It's going yeah. fine. Yeah. Okay. I just submitted a fellowship application. Woo! So yeah. Wow. That's a process. It. it <laughs> yes. Congratulations. A yeah, fellowship application. Yeah. You have to write like a research proposal and then be like, "Excuse me, NIH, may I please have some money?" And then NIH goes, "No." Write it again, and oh. then you write it again, and then maybe the NIH gives you money that time. <laughs> so this is a different kind of fellowship than the fellowship you might get after your first yes. portion of your residency. Yes, okay. this fellowship, is a, that's just a b- bunch of money. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm asking for money. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm so asking for like a scholarship almost, like in this case, but not because it's for a specific project. Yeah. At what point did you go, <laughs> hey, you know what? I could get a, f- I could get a fellowship. Like, I, I don't understand... Uh, about when my program was like, hey, you need to submit it before your f- the end of your fourth year in the program, so you should probably get on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, <laughs> also, about when they said they'll give us $500 to submit it. Oh, oh yeah. So I forgot about that. Cash yeah. that in. Oh, get that change. That, doing that. Yeah. Uh, the whole thing. Wait, that's so. like the app. The opposite of an application fee. You get paid. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is yeah. the app. Absolute opposite of applying to residency in which you spend all the money. So wait, 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 what what, what comes first? Like the idea to get a fellowship or the project? Yeah, the the idea, well, you have to build up. Okay, let me. Because they're not just going to hand them out to you just because you asked. Let me walk it back. For these. Well, unless you're really cute and then they might be like, here you go. Cute cuteness reading. Cute competence. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Be so adorable. Um. Usually, this is something most grad students are encouraged to apply for at some point. It's one of those like you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So most grad students and MD-PhD students are encouraged to apply for one at some point. For MD-PhDs, you have to submit your first application before the end of your fourth year in the program. So that would be your second year of graduate school. And some grad students don't really have because when you submit this, you need to have like a solid project with some preliminary data and like a direction to go. And some grad students like for whatever reason that that just hasn't come together for them in time or they're working on other things and it's not worth their time to submit a fellowship application so it's more that you are encouraged to if you can like for me I got pretty lucky my project has like quite a bit of preliminary data and I initially got a project off the ground pretty nicely so I had a pretty solid foundation for applying for a fellowship but it doesn't have like a feather in your cap kind of situation like your your research is going pretty well and and maybe there's something to it and and you can get more money well that's up to the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute if yeah, yeah. it is going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's up to them to think if they think it's good. But so yeah, what it's, it, what's the application look like? What is it? So the application looks like the, the main body of it is you submit like a seven page like research proposal. It's like one page is a specific aims page. It's like a summary and then six pages of proposals. So that's like, you know, here's the background. Here's what I've already done. Here's what I plan to do. And then there's like 30 pages of just miscellaneous information, which isn't as important, but needs to <laughs> But there's 30 pages of it. What the heck? <laughs> yeah. I, yeah <laughs> a certain amount of this it's been it's been bandied around that some of this is like an endurance test of like yeah. if you're going to apply for it 
we're going to make you jump through hoops to yeah. get it. We're going to um, get our $500 worth. Yeah. So you have to like set out like what your goals for training are, what your you have to write up like, you know, a personal statement and talk about your prior research There's training. That personal statement again. Yep. <laughs> Always with the up. personal statement. It's a very short one though. Oh, it's gosh. only like two paragraphs. All right. So it's like do that and then like a bunch of technical stuff like like what kind of facilities you have and all this different Who your kind of PI stuff. is yeah what our education is the pi has to do a section like he we have to put his bio sketch in and his like plans for your training as well and it's just i actually i have a draft of it the full f30 application total length is like 50 pages well, good that luck. sounds way harder than eras <laughs> <laughs> way more vague than ERAS, yeah it's a I lot guess. more vague yeah and some of some of it is admittedly decently structured like there's a bit of it that's just respective contributions and that's kind of like it's kind of just copied and pasted over it's not all incredibly technical but it is intimidating which is in in some ways part of the point like they don't really want you applying for this unless you want it so, so you've just done this yes when, uh, when when do you find out may may that's too long <laughs> All right. Way too long. It's re- it's really far too long. It does not need to. And that's the, I think that's when they're meeting as well. Like they're meeting in May and then they'll let me know at the end. Of, hopefully by the end of May. So this is why I giggled when you asked how's research going, because it's like I'm trying not to think about it. Dave. <laughs> <laughs> so funny you ask me that and then ask I'm me to explain as, the whole process. As host, I'm here to bring up the hard questions. The hard questions. But I will say I am glad you asked because I had no idea what a fellowship grant was going into but, you know, again, me feeling like a bad MDPH student. Like, no, I didn't know until earlier this year. Everyone kept mentioning F30, like, and I assumed everyone knew but me. So yeah, <laughs> because nothing brings more anxiety than feeling like you're the only person in the world. Who yeah, they just like, drop like information that oh, everyone else has. Have you submitted has. your F30 yet? And it's just like, what is that? Yeah, <laughs> let's, this is let's, why. Let's this normalize is why, these yeah, things. Yeah, normalize not knowing what the hell an F30 is and ha- what what the difference is between it and an F31. Still don't. I mean, barely. <laughs> honestly, I think the F31 is just later in the program. I mean, oh, as, wait. I do know. Can please. I? I will clarify. An F30 is for students who are at a dual degree program. F31 is for students who are just getting a PhD. Thank now, you. We, we can't, MDPHDs can't submit for an F31 because if you need to or if your program, if you think it would fit better, you can do that. But that's the general distinction. Perfect. This is great. This is the, uh, this is the bureaucracy component of the circuit <laughs> Uh, Ever even tunes into the Shortco podcast you, uh, every day for like the NIH bureaucracy talk, like yeah. tech, yes. just to hear Riley mention her insecurities about <laughs> not feeling adequate despite being in her third year. But, but it is true. Like I don't think I knew what the step one exam was for like the first year yeah. of medical school. No, like not a clue because no. it's like people just drop it in conversation, and it's just one of those like I'll figure out what that is later, and don't let any don't let them know that you don't know what that is. Yeah, not to mention just like every medical thing ever from my nursing friends who just did a four year nursing degree they're out here mentioning medications left and right and i have to sit there and be like you guys are way smarter than me and that's like really good because we need great nurses but now i feel wildly inadequate for exactly (laughs) what i was accepted to the school to do see this is why all conversations should take place in front of me because then i can be the idiot (laughs) who needs to ask like what are you what are you talking about and you guys can just pretend like you already know like oh i know it's like, look, I, I know what that is, but Miranda, I'm going to let you explain. <laughs> yeah, another great example. I did not know LASIK was a drug. Uh, I thought it was an eye procedure. Nobody yeah, yeah. told me it's another name for oh. diuretic uh, oh, until yeah. I literally got to my internal medicine rotation. Are, Nobody are told they me. spelled differently, though? They are LASIK? spelled differently. Yeah. LASIK versus LASIK, technically, but like everyone oh, says them the same. Right, okay. It's very yeah. confusing. Yeah. I was like, why are we giving this guy some eye thing for his... <laughs> Blood pressure. Somebody <laughs> needs to explain it to me. So I had to Google it. Yeah. So nobody's telling me. So funny. I look like an idiot. As an M1, you kind of just sit in the corner and just nod along as they say a bunch of things that you have no idea. It's like step yep. two is like, I know it's a test. What's on it? I don't know. <laughs> we'll well, thank you for explaining things to me. I, of course. I appreciate it. I hope that. that helps Friedrich and you and your beautiful, beautiful voice. <laughs> Want to hear it again? Incoming M1 oh, here and lucky to Good have had you. a great application cycle. <laughs>
I love it. Yeah, Friedrich, let us know if we've answered your question well enough. And uh, if you have any follow-up questions, love to hear from you again. And if we didn't, don't keep, tell me. Yeah, because keep my, it to yourself. My, like, very fragile ego can't Riley's feeling fragile. <laughs> I'm feeling fragile today. If we helped you, let us know. If we didn't, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Pretend, like <laughs> Pretend like we did. Riley, you're getting married in a week. Yes, I am. Tell, tell us your plans, your wedding plans. Yeah, it's uh, so it's been about two years coming. We got engaged uh, after like kind of Christmas break of my first year of school. So December 2019, it was a wonderful time to get engaged. Uh, we had no idea what the world was bringing in about four months. <laughs> yeah, uh, We planned our date actually pre-COVID, surprisingly. It was supposed to be December 18th, 2021. That was because school, I didn't want to have to go back to school on a Monday after my wedding. So I just planned it around the break that I knew I'd have. Good call. Uh, And then the world got a little weird and all weddings everywhere got moved, essentially. And so it was a long waiting process and a lot of anxiety trying to figure out where will we fall in this entire world shifting of weddings? And I know it's the last thing anyone cares about during a global pandemic and we've lost so many lives, but... It is also it was hard to happily plan a wedding during arguably one of the like weirdest, hardest times in history. Absolutely. And so when you want to feel happy, but yet you want to make sure you're doing the right thing and you feel like there's a lot of judgment that already comes with weddings. But also, how do I make sure it's covid safe? How do I keep my guests safe? Am I doing the right thing Mm -hmm. Uh, despite loving this person and wanting to be married. So it's been a whole host of emotions. And I think it's interesting how I feel now. Grant and I were talking about this just before the show. I think it's interesting how I feel now about these kinds of events versus how I felt a year, 18 months ago. Maybe for me, it's, you know, the vaccines and feeling safer that way and still being careful about what I'm doing and all this kind of stuff. But I, you know, like part of me is like, we're all just doing our best. Whereas like a year ago, I would have been like, Riley, how irresponsible. <laughs> no, I get that. And I would have too. Like, yeah. it's Well, crazy. in fairness, a year and a half ago, it would have been irresponsible because yeah, yeah, there yeah. were still oh, so yeah. many unknowns yeah. and we, no one could be vaccinated yet. Yeah. So, I've, yeah, I've spent a lot of time thinking about with the vaccines and with everyone having had the chances for about, I don't know, eight months at this point, almost a year, honestly. Yeah. And have we shifted to a a place of personal responsibility versus kind of collective responsibility? I don't have those answers, nor do I feel like I have enough gumption to like say where I really fall in that kind of conversation. Mm -hmm. But I do think it's an interesting time in society in which we're we're still at this kind of balance point for of the the personal versus the collective. Like, uh, for example, if. I am vaccinated and I've done everything in my power to kind of keep myself safe, healthy and keep my family safe and healthy. Is it now kind of on that person to think about those things? And again, I don't have those answers. Please don't come at me. Please don't. Cancel me. <laughs> yeah, um, no, I mean, uh, I that's exactly that's, the, the sorts of things that I've been thinking about, too. Like, yeah. you know, OK, so I've done everything I can. I'm twice vaccinated. I got my booster. I basically stay at home 100 percent of the time, which, frankly, I would do anyway. I mean, case in point, like I'm planning on traveling back home for the holidays and you know kind of made the decision like after thinking about it like is this safe for me to do it is the balance of safety versus the need to see my family and interact with them and all and you know that there's a weighing that's going on yeah so i don't know my, my default now tends to be more like eh, we're all just doing our best mm-hmm. you know it stinks but we're all just doing our best yeah I'm trying to get by yeah Riley, i'm curious are you doing like are you requiring your guests to have vaccines or are they getting tested beforehand? So that was another thing I wrestled with quite a lot. Uh, I wanted to require vaccines and I wanted proof. I am live in the state of Iowa. I'm getting married in the state of Iowa. There was no infrastructure surrounding my reception venue in order to get that proof. And it became kind of a tricky thing logistically within the state of Iowa that does not require proof of vaccination. Also socially, things. I mean. And socially, yeah. yes. Yeah. And so yeah. I think what I ended up settling on is I have kind of a long basically statement right before people have to RSVP. They can't not look at it. And it says, I am requiring but not asking for proof that you are completely vaccinated. I even like 
literally quoted the CDC or are getting tested within the CDC guidelines for going to events slash travel. And I think most of my guests are abiding by that. I have a cousin who is not vaccinated, but is making sure to get tested. I'm doing the best I can. Mm-hmm. And I'm just pleading and asking my guests to respect my it. only wishes. Yeah. I think yeah. that's, that's it. I mean, I, you know, like I'm not here to judge your preparations or anything, I, you know, but you're doing the best you can, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's hard, but I like that. I, I appreciate the fact as well that you're like giving very specific instructions where it's like I like I count vaccinated as fully vaccinated, like all of this. Like it doesn't count if you just got one and then ducked. Like yeah. I appreciate like you spelling it out. And yeah, I really think that that is as good as you can do. Also, yeah. congratulations. Thank I don't you think so I said much. it. Yeah. yeah. For okay. any of you short listeners out there, if you're planning a wedding, I know it can be stressful and hard and also the most exciting thing that you've ever done in your life. And so I feel for you. It's not easy, uh, especially if you're doing kind of the primary planning, not to not to knock Thomas. He knows, he, he knows his role, but uh, he knows his he role, knows his role. He knows his role. Which is to <laughs> shut up. And so I feel for you. Best of luck in all your planning stuff. And may the may the gods of the global pandemic be ever in your favor in the next few months. So seriously. Also, I we will expect to see uh, wedding photos yes. in the MSTP office. I'll give them all. <laughs> Ex- excellent. Yes, I want many. <laughs> Shortcoats, if you're enjoying our conversation today, I'd be grateful if you'd let people know by posting a story on Instagram or Facebook or tweeting about us. And don't forget to tag us in your post. Yeah. Thank you. Well, Emma, you're a fourth year medical student. Yes, uh, I am. Have you ever had to deliver bad news to a patient i don't think so we like learned how to in what is it second year right yeah. before clinicals yeah i um, remember it and then like it. they tend to shield medical students from some of those conversations unless maybe you do like a palliative care rotation i feel like i've never been in a, a situation where i was able to do like actually give the bad news but you've been present yeah, like I took a couple of gynonc subis and obviously people finding out that they have cancer, but the attendings would always do it. Mm-hmm. What do you what are you taught about preparing for doing this? Yeah, I'm trying to remember that session. I think part of it is like you have to create just a one good session. <laughs> I mean, it kind of is. It was, yeah. Yeah. And it, can also that's some horrific stuff to... for us as well. Yeah. But I do want to um, say they 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 do preface this with a whole class of like communication skills right so they're building yeah. a foundation that you work into that's a good yeah. point how yeah. you yeah. deliver so news. so what did you learn specifically though about bad i think news? what's important is creating like a good environment so you don't want to like give bad news like in the lobby of an er or something like you could i guess but like creating a safe space including the people that the patient wants to have there so if they have family members that they want or just close people asking what their understanding is of the conversation i think that's always important to start out with and because they may know nothing or they may know a lot and and then using language that's understandable to most people i think they say talk at like a fifth grade level or something like that. And then frequently stopping to ask if they have any questions or how do you feel about this information? Do you want me to stop now or should I keep going? Things like that. And kind of paying attention to their emotional cues. If they're like tearing up, give them tissues. That's always like the med student thing. Like if you're watching a hard conversation, always grab the tissues, offer them water, things like that. Yeah. I feel like on television, you always see them giving bad news in the ER lobby. Yeah. And it's always like yeah. they're standing and the, pa- like the, the family's like yeah. sitting yeah. way on the like, ground. Like the, the doctor comes in and the patient already knows that they're walking towards them. So they're like, oh, and they stand up <laughs> and like gr- clutch their pearls or something. So you haven't had to do it, which is unfortunate for I mean, that's a very me. good thing, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> it's unfortunate for me because I really wanted you to I really wanted you to teach us. But you've done you've done a fine job of transferring to us uh, what your learning is. And we're going to we're going to use that. Uh. To play uh, a little inappropriate game. We're going to practice delivering bad news because in a few weeks, our M2 class will be transitioning to their clinical clerkships. Ah, bless. Um, And I hope that they encounter no bad news. But just in case such things might be necessary, we'll learn about this. Of course, these are ridiculous fictional pieces of medical bad news, and I've written some horrible fates down to help you get started. I would like to point out mine is technically not fictional, but... Is it? I mean, I'll talk... I can, all right, all right. I can talk about it later, but... <laughs> so, uh, Emma, your job in this is to critique these guys in their delivery 
of bad news. We'll start off with Miranda. Miranda, you're going to be the physician. Okay. And Grant, you're going to be the patient. Okay. And so I'll set a scene. You are, you're in the lobby of an ER. No, you're, <laughs> you're in a room waiting for the doctor, I guess. And, and here comes Miranda knocking on the door. Come in. Hi, Grant. Yes. Uh, hi. What, what am I, am I delivering the news? Yeah, yeah. I'm stopping the scene. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already uncomfortable. Okay. So, okay. Hi, Grant. My name is Miranda. I'm the doctor. Your test came back and I have some news about the results. Okay. I've, I've been worried about this. So. Okay. Well, I haven't done this for a while. Unfortunately, you have something called mountain blindness. Mountain blindness. Do you, have you ever heard of that term before? No. It is a condition caused by, uh, on your recent backpacking trip, you saw so many beautiful mountains that <laughs> it's uh, becoming difficult for you to look at anything else. I have noticed that I just see mountains all the yeah, time. It, yeah. And there are some treatments we can look at, but this is going to be uh, a very long process to uh, get over this. Will I be able to see my wife again? She will look like a mountain. But <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately. Mm. But as long as you can pick out which mountain is your wife, then yes. <laughs> I think I just need some time to process this. Okay, have some tissues. <laughs> Usually I'd have a med student. <laughs> Usually I have a med student do this. <laughs> okay, I'll leave you for and a little scene. bit. And scene. And scene. Uh, okay, the reason why I said that mountain blindness is the one that could be technically true, but it's like if there's snow on a mountain, oh, and that can sure. actually like sunburn your eyes. So I made up something, but I would like to point out that that is technically a thing. If you can like, <laughs> like if you that's also snow blindness. Blindness happens a lot on mountains. Yeah, I suppose you could also poke your eye out with a particularly sharp you could, mountain. But that that would be an eye wound, not really I, mountain blindness. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Emma, what's your what's your critique? You mentioned, you know, finding out what somebody already knows. Did she do that? Well, first of all, for the good things, I think that you went on a good pace. You asked if he had heard of that mountain blindness before. You offered tissues, um, <laughs> but maybe you didn't ask like if they had if he had any questions. And yeah, you didn't ask like his understanding of the situation beforehand. Okay. <laughs> also, oh, yeah, that's smart. Okay. I, did, I thought it was funny when you were like, because of all the trips you went on, you developed this. Almost like, <laughs> it's your fault. <laughs> yeah, okay, good point, good point. <laughs> but overall, good job. Thank you. Excellent. That is a good tip, actually. Don't imply that it's the patient's fault that they got cancer. That's usually not very well received. No. Or mountain blindness, in this case. <laughs> Thank you. Good acting, by the way. That was like, kind of heartbreaking. Yeah, I bought it. <laughs> I get to see my wife again. <laughs> <laughs> you have to know which mountain she. <laughs> which one did she take on? All right, it's Grant. It's your turn. I know it's a little early in your in your med school career to be. Uh, he's learning he's just about come this, from cap it, stuff. It is, he's going to yeah. be at the best at this. Well, I haven't done the the trouble, the uh, giving bad news section yet. But yeah, the basics. All right. Well, give it a shot. We'll have uh, Riley be your your patient. Okay. <laughs> which one do I want to do? Adopt the patient posture. <laughs> You've been waiting for oh, how long roughly eight hours now. Okay, I'll be on my phone. Yeah. <laughs> Come in. Hi, Riley. Yes. Hi, my name's Dr. Stalker. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? So, <laughs> that fantastic. <is> wonderful. <laughs> uh, I hope it stays that way. It, I mean, I plan on using it. So... I just wanted to come and talk to you. You know, you've been getting some tests done. So do you, can you just give me your idea of kind of your understanding of what's going on? Yeah, I, I thought they were just kind of general routine tests and that I would just come in today to find out that I'm the healthiest I've ever been in my entire life. Because that's how that works. <laughs> <laughs> so I just I, I know you know that you've been doing some of these tests and we've got a couple of them back and I just wanted to talk to you about them. Is it OK? Is now a good time or? Yeah, absolutely. Time. So, and I don't want to scare you with any of this, but I just want to let you know that one test did come back positive for animated finger. <laughs> and so what that means is for the foreseeable future, you won't have control of your fingers. They will just move 
in this sort of fashion <laughs> randomly for the periods of hours just to days. Grabbing. Just just grabbing. Just the whole day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know this is a lot to take in, and we can talk more about it in terms of treatments and whatnot later, but what questions do you have for me? I mean, how am I just going to, like, keep from grabbing everything? Yeah. Like, it, I, I just... Is my mind taken over by my grabby fingers? It's 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 unconscious. It just happens. And these are things that you're going to have to work into your new routine, and it's going to be hard, but we do have resources for you that we'll be able to connect you with once once you have some time to go ahead and think about things. Yeah, I'm going to need some time. Do you happen to know if there's a like a grabby fingers uh, support group? There's actually a, like uh, it's, it's a Facebook group. Oh, OK. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. Well, what happens? I can't grab my phone. <laughs> <laughs> we have we have there's a specific case that just keeps your fingers there. So even though they're grabbing, you still have access to your phone. OK, OK. I think I I'm going to need some time to process Absolutely. Um, and we'll come back. I'll come back in a bit. I really wanted to. I, <laughs> that's awesome. That was awesome. I like how it changed from animated fingers to grabby fingers. <laughs> <laughs> that's a colloquial term. It's the other name. Everyone knows it. Everyone knows it by that. <laughs> I really wanted you to say like, yeah, you might want to schedule your grabbing activities, you know, according to when you're having <laughs> an attack but, like that's a really good time to like do laundry yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> to pick up stuff around the house yeah and a phone case that locks your hands yeah. to it. <laughs> but how do I control my hands <laughs> what's your evaluation uh, of of Grant's bad news giving Emma I think it was great I don't know if I have any like things to work on you I'm went perfect I love and that feedback <laughs> And I liked how you said, like, this is what the disease is. And I, we can talk about treatment and management later and gave her time to think about it. And then when she had questions, you had answers prepared. Yeah. Grant, you, Miranda had the, you know, the misfortune of being first. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> and also some distance away from caps and mass. And right. And uh, and also locked in a lab for years where I'm not allowed to speak <laughs> yeah. to anybody or see the sun. Yeah. So. Working with too many cells. But even that, that was good. I liked it. Yeah. Well, very good. Now it's. Riley's turn to be the physician and and Riley you're going to give Miranda some some bad news uh go ahead come in hi Miranda is it yeah hi Miranda I'm Riley I'm gonna just come in and get our appointment started today how's that sound sounds great all right so tell me a little bit about why you think you're here today well my <laughs> primary care doctor told me that I had some like I think it was like some abnormal like genetic tests or something uh, she wasn't super clear so she advised me to uh, make an appointment with a specialist to sort of talk about it more get a few more answers so. absolutely well I'm glad you came in and made an appointment with us sometimes that can be really hard to find some time out of your schedule so thanks for coming today i just wanted to ask before i give this information do you have anyone else in the lobby or anyone else you'd want here for that information no just me okay sounds good well i just wanted to go over some of the genetics results that we got so what we found is that you have a small point mutation in chromosome 13 and it turns out that that is likely to manifest in a disease called thorny tongue in the next five to 50 years okay <laughs> <laughs> have you ever heard of thorny tongue disease no i've ne never heard of it okay w what is that yeah it's a uh, it's an autosomal recessive disease uh, it's yeah. very rare <laughs> <laughs> and what it fifth, is is that fifth the, grade level the taste buds on your tongue are likely to turn into anywhere from one millimeter spikes to two inch spikes oh my word yes that it is it is it is quite a progressive disease meaning that it could start in the next like i said five to fifty years it's quite a and time window you've given me there. it is it is quite a time window and i i wish i could give you kind of a better estimate I just wanted to kind of help you be aware of the disease. Okay. What questions do you have so far about thorny tongue disease? I mean, is there anything you do to like treat it once it starts? I mean, I don't want to be stabbing myself constantly. That doesn't sound very pleasant. Absolutely. I totally understand. That is what most patients with thorny tongue <laughs> first say. 
there is an experimental treatment in which you actually can just take scissors and chop the thorns off. Okay. It's like I said, we're having trouble getting patients enrolled in the study. I would love to see if you'd love to join the study now. It's just a quick scissor snip. I mean, yeah. Okay. If there's a treatment, I'm all for it. Great. So. Well, best best news is your your taste is not likely to be affected. You okay. will still have Thank all goodness. of your all of your taste and ability okay. to have great food, and <clears throat> your life expectancy is the same. <laughs> Okay, I'm a little bit the, suspicious that you had to clarify that now. But the, uh, the I life guess that's expectancy, reassuring. the life expectancy of your romantic partners, however, <laughs> is considerably less so. Considerably lower. Yes, we we do ask that you refrain from any what the kids call it French kissing. Uh, <laughs> um, for the time, I could use some time to process. Absolutely. Okay. Totally understand. I mean, at least this gets me out of doing jobs in the future. So. <laughs> it does. We can give you a waiver for that too. If you oh, fantastic. Uh, yeah, doctor that signed that letter. That would be great. Yeah, um, we can get you, you copies thank of you, that, yeah. however many you think you'll need. Thank you. Yes, yeah, that absolutely. would be wonderful. And we've earned our explicit rating. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, you brought up French kissing. I could not not. I'm sorry. Amazing. I'm leaving that in. All right, Emma. What are, what are we? That's great. What are we? Think? I think you did a great job of setting the scene and asking if she wanted anybody else present. That was um, good. Yeah. Like Dave said, it may have been a little bit above fifth grade language with the autosomal receptors, <laughs> but you probably knew that she's an MD PhD. Student, so yeah. Yeah. It's like totally not yeah. like pre. Yeah. We knew that. We point knew that. point <laughs> mutation on chromosome thirteen. Yeah. 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 That was a nice Every little detail there. That. Every fifth right. grader knows that. Also, also, like Miranda, the student, really cared about that information. Miranda, the patient with thorny tongue, kind of didn't care if it was on a small tongue that to recess. I'm meeting you where I think you are. Uh, you did a good job accommodating her when she needed, oh, I was going to say work letter. I don't know what you call it. A sex uh, letter. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's pretty commonplace. Hey, I've Emma, done a few of them. Don't judge. You don't know what I do. You don't know what I do for a living. That's true. Oh, That's I a good point. Letter, Could be yeah. a work letter. That's yeah. A good point. Excuse you. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, let's go one more round. I don't want to do my other disease, so I'm pulling another. All one. right, sorry, that's Dave. that's fine. I know Mar- that's- why don't you help Riley understand her uh, her illness? Yes. Okay. I'm trying to remember the lessons from last time. Okay. <laughs> Come in. Hi, Riley. Hi, yes. Hi, um, I'm Dr. Skeen. Um, I'm just here to uh, get our appointment started, if that's okay. That sounds good to me. Okay. Why don't you tell me a little bit about why you're here today? Absolutely. I, I actually like to just make vague appointments with every specialist possible <laughs> to get just any test possible, just about once a year, just to check all my boxes, make sure everything's all okay. Okay. So basically just like, you know, make general physical, seeing how you're doing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we did run a few tests and a couple, and I have some results that I would like to discuss with you, if that's okay. That sounds good to me. Uh, do you have anybody else here with you today? or No, I don't. Okay, so one of the tests that came back positive, we ran a blood screen, if you know, and one of the tests that came back, it's for a disease called um, running vampirism. Have you ever heard of this uh, disease before? I have not, no. Okay. So it's a fairly uncommon disease. It's genetic, which means you probably got it from either your mom or your dad. And what happens is that after the disease starts to present itself, patients usually find that they have unbearable urges to run after people, usually who are already running because they get sweaty and hot. And there is a, and it also manifests as a desire to bite those people sort of as uh, vampire like. So that's sort of what it ends up uh, looking like. My, Do you have any questions? Husband, my husband love, loves to run. I'm going to bite him every he, time he runs? There are ways that we can manage uh, these desires. Usually it's treated with counseling, you know, redirecting uh, those impulses so that you don't actually bite. Obviously, we want to keep everybody safe and we want to keep you safe. So there are there is counseling available to manage those urges, but it is something you might want to look out for in future. And, you know, you know, maybe talk with your husband. So if he's about to go out for a run, you can distract yourself with something else. What about all the track meets I love to go to? That's like my favorite, <laughs> <laughs> my favorite activity. That's how I spend my Fridays and Saturdays going to track meets. Do your does your husband normally accompany you to those? 
Yes, he does. Okay. If we have, if you have a supportive partner, there are also ways that he can help you manage. It usually involves a form of restraint to sort of help <laughs> remind you not to run after people and, and bite them. Okay. Okay. Wow. That's a lot to take in. Yeah. I, I just, I can't believe it. You know, Would I you, have Do you need a feeling... tissue or a glass of water? Um, <laughs> a glass of water, please. Just don't run. Go get it. <laughs> I would, I would prefer slow. not to be overtaken. <laughs> A desire to bite you. Of course, right now. of course. Look, 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 look. Go, 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 go. I need another. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> uh, we're out of cups. Uh, nurse, would you mind uh, grabbing a cup for me? You just knocked Thank on you. the nurse's head. Well, no, I like opened it. Okay. <laughs> I like knocked on the door to be like nurse. Okay. Okay. So while that uh, comes, do you have any um, other questions or anything you want to discuss? Or if you need some time, I can give you that as well. I think I need some time. I'll make another appointment. Okay. In the next few weeks, another vague appointment to (laughs) talk about what we need to talk about. I'll let our scheduler uh, know that you're wanting to make She's very fond of me. Yes. She does ask that I keep, I I stop calling, but. um, (laughs) I mean, we all love you. She always does. She always makes the appointment, so. Okay. All right. I'll let let us know. And, you know, we always love seeing you come in. So (laughs) let let us know whatever we can do to help. Absolutely. It's uh, 20 years now. 20 years of coming in every year. Oh, really? Oh, wonderful. Our anniversary. Oh, very good. Yeah, if we let this go any farther, it's going to start becoming a different kind of fiction. So, um, Emma, what do you? I think it was really good. I think it was an improvement on your last one. Yes, it's Um, validation. Thank you, Emma. You explained what genetic means. You were responsive to her questions, and you offered water. Although it did sound a little robotic, like, "Do you want water or tissues?" But yeah, I think it was good. Thank you. That, right. that, that that was actually robotic. Part of my character is that they have a robot voice every five minutes. Ask patients yeah. if they want water or tissues. <laughs> also, a good thing is that you made a patient who may seem like kind of annoying. I don't think any patients are annoying, but like, you know, she comes in a lot. Feel welcomed and comfortable. Okay. And like you liked her. So <laughs> felt very welcome. Yeah, the, the, schedule may, the scheduler may not approve. <laughs> no, no, not no I was burying deep hatred, but I'm glad it came across <laughs> yeah, as compassionate absolutely. and welcoming. Yeah. Oh, my insurance company hates me. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you're I pay pay- millions out of pocket every yeah, like, year. <laughs> you are paying the premiums. You should get that insurance money, girl. Get that deductible paid. <laughs> Make them go to your out of pocket maximum well i we i think we've all done very well and by we i mean you uh that's our show emma miranda riley grant thanks for being on the show with me today you're thank you i guess you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> and what kind of dingus would i be if i uh, didn't thank you shortcoats for making us a part of your week if you're new here and you like what you heard today follow our show wherever fine podcasts are available available like spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, even youtube <gasps> our editors wow. are aj chowdhury and eric bozart the show is made possible by a generous donation by carver college of medicine student government and ongoing support from the writing and humanities program our music is by dr vox and Catmosphere. talk to you in one week bye Hi, Shortcoats. Look, life in medical education, life in America, life in the world is often difficult. And I often wish I could help. All I have is this podcast, but in my wildest dreams, you have the support you need to lead a life of your choosing. You deserve to be happy, healthy, and successful in whatever ways you define those words. So if you need support because you've experienced racism, discrimination, harassment, mental health crises, I want you to be able to get the help that you need. And so I'm going to put some links in the show notes to some resources that you can use. But the bottom line is that for what it's worth, I see you. I know you're out there. I wish I could do more. Maybe I can in ways that I don't understand yet or know about. But I see you and I'm glad you're here and other people are too.